welcome to another episode of the Agile Weekly Podcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigich. And I'm Roy Vandewater. And today we're going to be talking about a very rare thing that we've heard about from certain people. Uh, it's called What Happens When You Fail Your Sprint. Now, I've never experienced this personally. <laughs> Me either. Of course not. Right. But hypothetically, if it did happen, what do you do? Yeah, so I guess we should define first. Um, I, this occurred to me, you know, Roy and I were talking about this topic earlier today, and I was thinking, I wonder if we think the same thing, what it means when you say fail a sprint. So I was wondering, is failing the sprint the same thing as, like, you committed to do five stories and you only got four done? Are we calling that a failure? Yeah. Okay, I think so too. Then the one thing I was thinking about was, what if you committed to doing five stories and then you also had a sprint goal and you fulfilled the sprint goal, but you didn't do one of the stories? Hmm. Is that a failure? That's interesting. I guess I haven't, I haven't really actually made sprinkles all that often, which is probably a bigger problem. <laughs> but that's an interesting point. Like if, if the value of the sprint is to achieve your sprint goal and your stories are almost almost an implementation to try to achieve that goal, then maybe achieving the sprinkle is all you need. The so uh, the example I always like to use is the the travel website. If we say our sprint goal is to make it easier for people to book um, a rental car when mm -hmm. they book a cruise vacation, and we fulfill our sprinkle, but we didn't do one of the stories, does it really matter? Um, well, I think that one's a little bit interesting because making it easier is like a slider skill, right? Like you can make it a teeny, teeny little bit easier by doing a text change. And sure. So... I think the important part, I think I think what I really consider a failure is when you promise to deliver something and you fail to keep your promise. Okay. When essentially you lose trust with the people that you have promised to because you didn't do what you said you were going to. So like maybe the product owner. You say, hey, product owner, leave me alone for the next week and I promise you that I will get this thing done. And then um, in a week, you don't get it done. And so now maybe the product owner trusts you less. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So if we define failure as basically making a promise and then not – basically we're saying you, you aren't doing what you said you are going to do. Mm -hmm. All right, I think that's – we talk about that. We use that phrase a lot internally. Right. Um, so if you say that failure – sprint failure is kind of not doing what you said you are going to do, um, a lot of people I know don't like to talk about sprint failure because they don't like to talk about failing. Well, it's confrontation okay. of, of a sort, right? Yeah, so I see a lot of people that try, and a lot of teams that will try to like find all kinds of ways to explain why they didn't really fail, whether mm -hmm. it's like, well, we were working on these five things, uh, but then something happened, and so we didn't have to do this right. anymore. So we didn't really technically fail because we still did the important stuff. Right, or um, we worked on all of these things, but then this major interruption happened, or this outside dependency caused us to fail our sprint because we were waiting to get something back from them. We thought we'd get it this week, and we didn't. So one thing I've always noticed, or I've always thought myself too, personally, is that if you don't view failure as that big of a deal, if you view it as like a learning moment or uh, a way that you can improve, yep. then it doesn't really matter if you failed because, right. you know, who cares? You don't have to try and explain it away. It's sure, you're just, just honest happens, about right? it, and you try to fix it for the next time. So I guess let's describe that then. So um, I think there was a team that, 
that you were working with or um, we were talking about that mm-hmm. had failed their sprint or they weren't going to get it done on time. Right. And so they canceled their demo. Right. They, they actually postponed their demo uh, oh, okay. about three or four days under the uh, idea of, well, we're not, we don't have anything to demo right now because we didn't do the stories we said we were going to do, but we should have them done in three days. So we're going to go ahead and do the demo then. And so they're treating like of, uh, of the entire sprint review, um, if we include like the demo and the retrospective, did they do the retrospective, or did they skip that part too? No, nope. uh, I mean, as far as I know, the iteration was essentially extended for an additional three days, every oh, okay. part of it. Okay, so I guess in that case, we would call that a failure, um, because they didn't get it done when they said they'd get it done, right? Right. So, okay. Um, so I guess, what, maybe what advice would you give to a team that doesn't get things done? Uh, maybe they got 80% of their stories done. Like, mm-hmm. let's say that they were, rather than being really bad and getting 80% of sure. everything done, they actually got 8 out of 10 stories done. Would you suggest that they show something in the demo, or how would they handle that in the demo? Like, what would the team do? So, if you, I would say that if you actually, com- if you actually complete something, then um, then show it off, right? Because it's going to go into production. But if you haven't finished it, don't show it. Because I w- what I would say is, when you're demoing, you're demoing to um, not just the product owner who knows what's going on within the team and is probably made aware way before this that that not everything was going to get done. But you're also demoing to the stakeholders and potentially even users of the system, and so I feel it's important to actually show them what they are now able to have. So those would be things you would only demo stuff that you actually shipped. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I guess one thing, like I've always kind of gone back and forth on showing things that aren't uh, like done, done or unaccepted, mm-hmm. only for the sake of maybe uh, like really, really valuing extra feedback. Yep. Uh, but I guess there's, I mean, I think there's probably more bad behaviors that come from demoing half done things or not right. done things than, than you'd get like a benefit from the feedback. Right. I guess I'm kind of on the fence on that too, because I was thinking about that. And on one hand, I think you shouldn't really demo anything that isn't done because then you're setting this expectation that this feature is part of the product when you're starting a new iteration and it may not be prioritized anymore because something else may have come up. Um, the specific details of how it's supposed to function may completely change. So essentially, you're demonstrating something that may never happen. So you're setting expectations that you don't have the power to meet. However, like you're saying about about gaining additional feedback, totally makes sense. Like that may be what drives the actual change. So I guess it's it's really dangerous. I feel, but if you were to be extremely explicit about the fact that this is not finished, that there is no promise, that you are doing it purely to receive feedback. I could see that it <laughs> so might probably be okay. don't ever do that because most people are not going to listen to you when you say that's true. You're not going to get this, yeah. right? I could see like salespeople attending the meeting and then being like, "Wow!" and then like selling it to all the customers and then it gets put on the back burner. Yeah, now it's never going to get done, right? Now you're taking power away from the from the product owner all of a sudden because now they have to finish it because all the customers are demanding it. Um, so in the like in a traditional demo, you know, some people um, or actually say the demo part of the sprint review, whatever you want to call it. Some people from the team might get up and actually showcase the features or like show them mm-hmm. on a projected screen, whatever. Um, how do you think the team should address the like sprint itself? Should they address the fact that they didn't get it all done, um, or should they kind of just skip over that? Is it not important? Uh, in my opinion, uh, it is important to be as transparent as possible. So if a team has filled a sprint, totally own up to it. Like. Uh, I would say explain why, but be really careful that you're explaining why and not making excuses. So I would 
recommend verbalizing all reasons why as things specifically that the team did wrong. So, for example, the the example I made earlier where uh, you were dependent on an outside source and they weren't able to get you the stuff that you needed on time and you thought they would. I would... I would word that as we made a promise for things that we did not have direct control over, and the way we would mitigate that in the future is by not make by only promising things that we know we can deliver. So uh, <clears throat> I was watching a video um, from Dan North speaking at a conference about high-performing teams, mm-hmm. and one of the things I thought was really interesting was he was talking about the team he was working on that was very high-performing. They had a component of their kind of showcase. That, uh, yeah, they were doing Scrum, but they had a component of the demo where they talked about things that they learned. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought that was a, a better way where you can pretty much convey the same information, but it's not presented as, well, we would have got all this stuff done, but excuse, excuse, excuse. Right. It's a, you know, we didn't get things done, you know, being very upfront about your failure, and we learned these things that will help us in the future. Uh, I feel like that's a much easier way to go about it. That's um, a good point. Even though it's kind of sugarcoating the fact that you failed, and I'm not necessarily advocating that, but for teams maybe that are transitioning that aren't as comfortable um, with the conflict or perceived conflict involved with just saying we failed, um, talking about what you learned might be easier. I think there's some difficulty there with how you structure like your retrospective with respect to your uh, demo, right? Like you may not have yet identified good ways. You may not have learned um, what you are going to learn by your demo time because you might sure. have your retrospective afterwards. That's a good point. Um, okay, so how like what would you suggest for a uh, like a scrum master, what do you think is a like I don't know, I say positive or healthy behavior that someone in a scrum master role might take with a team that failed a sprint? Hmm. I, I would absolutely orient the retrospective around it. Like start off the notion like, hey, we failed. Like, what can we do better about it? Because I've seen many retrospectives where somebody where where it's completely shoved under the rug or. You know, like there was the some road. colossal failure, but it never. No right. one ever wants. Nobody to wants to talk about it because it's it's really painful, right? And it's conflict, and probably there's going to be some finger pointing and yelling and and pent up emotions. I would expect a high performing team, like as much as you say, failure shouldn't be that big of a deal, so you can learn from it, which I totally agree with. On the other hand, neither should failure be a total non-issue, right? You sure. shouldn't ignore a failure and then be like, oh, whatever, we failed, we'll fail again next week. Like we don't really care about hitting our commitment anyway. So you kind of have to find a balance there, and hopefully the team cares enough to at least get somewhat passionate about making sure it doesn't happen again. Well, it gives them like a really concrete thing to use for inspect and adapt. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and I I've always felt like as a scrum master, if there were if there was a sprint failure, I don't know. Um, depending on what the circumstances are, I mean, as a facilitator, I don't right. you know. Obviously, you're not going to go and force them down some path, but. I think as the scrum master, there's uh, maybe a responsibility that you have to bring things to light, like to really call out the 800-pound gorilla in the room and say, hey, I th- you know, we're not talking about all the issues or maybe format the exercise or facilitate in a certain way so that um, some of those things can come to light. It is interesting, though, because I find that most teams don't even believe that consistent success is possible. True. Like, I know I didn't believe that myself when back when we were doing uh, contracting work with Integrum. Right, like I always thought that Derek and Jade kept pushing us to uh, to try to hit our sprints continually, and I was like, you know, that's a nice ideal, but that's not actually reality. <laughs> and it wasn't until I was on a team where we consistently hit our sprint week after week for I don't know months at a time, and we had one failure, and it was like a big deal. But then we were right back on track again, and like didn't. And so it's totally possible, but I know that until that happened to me, like I did not believe it. Like it was not. It was. 
Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about that specific example was the um, the answer to the the sprints are failing was not like uh, work harder. It was do less until you start succeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's one thing that a lot of teams, for as much as they're afraid of failing, um, they always, you know, I've seen teams that will fail weeks at a time, but then they consistently commit to like big chunks of work yep. rather than saying like, hey, maybe we need to slow down to go fast. So let's do less and less until we're successful. Well, product owners especially are really, really touchy about that. Cause you're like, wow, look, these guys have 100 hours of capacity and they are committing to only 50% of that. Like what? What? Like all this wasted money and time, and like, what do I do about that? But then, like, the reality is, um, they they probably were only going to get fifty percent of the capacity done anyway. Like, right. Like if you the, can if you can failing usually, that much. right exactly. You can usually look at it that they commit to a whole bunch, but that they only hit a percentage of that. Like, maybe maybe it makes sense to maybe what they are doing is not uh, committing to less, but committing to exactly what they're capable of. Yeah, and I would say if I'm the product owner of a, and I have a, you know, working with the Scrum team around the Scrum team, um, I would prefer for my purposes to have something that's a little more consistent. Mm-hmm. So rather than be lied to every week and not maliciously lied to, but um, rather than have some rosy, optimistic outlook of what this sprint, you know, everything's going to be great this time around, um, I'd rather have the, you know, realistic thing. And if that means going slower and, but you're not really going slower, right? You're just not promising it, to go as sure, fast. Sure, it appears that I'm going slower, sure. right? If that's the case, I'd rather have reality. That makes my prediction mm-hmm. stuff much easier. And then I think that's a, a, you know, another place where inspecting a app comes in, where you can find ways, or you know, with the scrum master and whatever the team can improve, so that they can maybe go faster, hopefully. But maybe that maybe whatever their pace is, that's all I'm going to get. I would much right. rather know what the reality is. I agree with that. And I think that it makes it a lot easier to, to improve over time because if you commit to your full capacity, then you have to go from zero to hundred percent immediately, right? You either fail your sprint or you hit your sprint. But if you can slide that capacity down to what you can actually hit, then you can slowly move that up and you have much more opportunity for incremental growth rather than an all or nothing thing. And then you can slowly work your way up to hundred percent. So one more bonus question before we go. Um, if a scrum team has committed to 10 stories and it's the last day of their sprint and they realize they're not going to get the last two things done mm-hmm. and they say, oh, uh, Mr. Product Owner, we're not going to let these th- two things done. W- can we take them out of the sprint? Um, if they took them out, would you count that as a success or a failure? I would count that as a failure because at the beginning of the iteration, they promised to get those things done. I think that it's a little bit gray area. So like, if they realize on day one, of the iteration that those two things weren't going to get done, that'd be totally different than if they realized 10 minutes before the, before the uh, demo. I guess the, I've never seen that street code two ways. I've always only seen it where the team asks if they can have things removed, but when they finish early, I don't ever think I've seen a team that says like, bring it on, like, give me more stuff. We can't wait to get more things, you know? I've seen, I've seen both, but I mean, uh, it definitely never happens at the beginning of the iteration that they say like, go give us more stuff. But sometimes towards the end, like I've seen, teams um, finish the iteration half the time and then pull in a little bit of additional work oh, and then demo good. that as well. Now, if they didn't if they didn't manage to accomplish all of the additional work before the demo, I would not consider that a failure. Ooh, maybe that's a topic for another episode. Mm-hmm. Alright, thanks. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integramtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest. 
Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.